It's a great day to be here. I was sharing with Pastor uh, Evan earlier. You know, I really like looking at space and uh, watching videos about uh, the cosmos and the universe, and it just, just blows my mind that God just spoke this into existence. And, uh, you know, there's trillions of, of planets and solar systems. And it's just unfathomable. And, you know, this is the only, as far as we know, this is the only place in the entire universe where Jesus Christ is proclaimed and worshipped, and we get to be a part of that. So thank you for leading us in worship band today. Uh, that's part of worship. The other part is bringing the Word of God, and Pastor Jim's given me that privilege uh, to do that today. So as uh, Evan said, my name is Bruce Ensign. I am not the pastor here. I'm not even an elder here. Uh, I've been participating in this church for uh, about five months, um, so a little bit, I, I don't like to talk about myself by that. Well, who's this guy? Why is he up here? So I had the privilege of being a preacher's kid, so born into the church, basically, a long time ago. Uh, from the first week, I think I was in the nursery, and uh, I joked with my wife. I think she actually was stealing crackers from me in the nursery because uh, my father, my, she, her and her parents went to my father's church. So anyway, we go way back. That's too much information, I know. But um, anyway, I've grown up I, uh, through the years. I became a Christian when I was about five <clears throat> and have been trying to walk with the Lord with various success and failures throughout my life. Um, about 15 years ago, my memory's kind of fading, but years ago I was the men's Olympia class Bible study fellowship teaching leader. So I gave lectures for seven seasons uh, during that time, and it was a great privilege. And then from there I was able to help launch a church here in this area and uh, became a deacon and an elder and served there in that capacity. I um, So I've basically done everything from cleaning the church to doing the lawn service and all that stuff to trying to raise up leaders and community groups or life groups, being a coach, uh, elder, going with elders, dealing with meetings and the issues that might arise in the church and actually going to people and trying to get them to stop sinning and stop spreading their sin in the church and dealing with struggles in the church. And I've had uh, those opportunities, those privileges that God has given me. So... um, I'm not a novice to the word, and so hopefully today what I speak will be meaningful to you and help you tie this passage into your own life and events that may be coming here into your life and even to this church. That is my hope. So I'm going to open in prayer, and we'll start from there. Heavenly Father, thank you for this privilege, and uh, thank you for drawing everybody here today and people online that are listening. I pray that my words would go out clear, uh, that your gospel would be proclaimed and people understand really what it is to, what it takes to become a Christian and what it doesn't take. And, uh, that is just simply faith in you, Lord, and that you draw us to yourself and you save us. Thank you that you've done that to me and to many people. And you continue to be alive and active. Lord, help us to worship you, not here just at church, but actually in our homes daily and in our workplaces and as we're driving to work and as we live in the day, that we'd be mindful of you and we would bring and look for opportunities to praise your name. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. So this is September 11th, a day that reminds the world that conflict can happen at any moment, any day, and it can come from anywhere. Right? So conflict's nothing new. <clears throat> it wasn't new that day, and it's, it's not new now. I think probably lots of us have different ways that we've dealt with conflict throughout our life. And, um, you know, conflict is just part of life. It's just part of what God has for us. But not always is conflict resulting in evil, and many times good can come of it. And I think that from this day, this passage I'm going to read today, Acts chapter 15, 1 through 35, there is much good that came from this council and this meeting that resulted because of this conflict. 
So while we may not enjoy conflict, it is part of our, our daily uh, in our life, sometimes daily. When God created everything that there is, he created Adam and Eve and the, put him in the Garden of Eden. And, of course, Satan is a created being who turned and rebelled against God, but God allowed him to go to the Garden. And God was sovereign, and he let that happen. And he knew what was going to happen there. So he knew that he would, by spreading misinformation, he would begin to cause conflict and strife amongst humans, and through that, introduce sin into the world, and through that, then the curse occurred, and what all of nature, all of mankind and the universe, all created things were cursed. But Satan went to Adam and Eve and said, did God really say, come on, you aren't going to die? That fruit from the tree of the knowledge of good life, it's great. He just wants you to, you know, not be like him. And so they tempted him, and they gave in to disobedience, of course, and that led to conflict. When Christ, or God, excuse me, came back and said, hey, what did you do? Like, well, she made me do it, you know. Like, so there you have it. And then, of course, their children, Cain and Abel, you know, the conflict continued. Um, you know, that was the beginning of everything, and it's not gotten much better. So misinformation was a tool that Satan used in the Garden of Eden. And I think you, if you look at today, you can see, I mean, I've heard so many people say, I don't know who to believe. Because right now, anybody who has any belief, they can post anything they want on Instagram or on YouTube or, you know, social media. It, there's so much out there and so much conflicting information. And experts are, you know, someone who doesn't necessarily know what they're talking about can post what they want. So I think it's harder than ever right now to filter through misinformation to find the real information and understand what um, what to believe. So in this passage, Acts chapter 1 through 15, excuse me, 1 through 35, um, there's misinformation also being spread about in, in the church. So this conflict is, a result, is, is coming out not from external forces, but verse 5 tells us that these were believers that were actually going around to different churches, and particularly this church in Antioch, and teaching something other than what was authorized and approved and what was the real facts about how someone is saved. So... I'm going to start by reading Acts chapter 15, 1 through 35. And I know this church has a habit of having you stand. But while the cat's away, the mice can play. So <laughs> it's going to take about four to five minutes to read through it. So I, I ask for your patience. So get out your app or Bible if you have one, or you can follow on the screen. And I'm just, you can sit there. I guess you can stand if you desire. I won't, I won't object. But some men came down from Judea and were teaching the brothers, unless you are circumcised according to the custom of Moses, you cannot be saved. And later Paul and Barnabas had no, excuse me, and after Paul and Barnabas had no small dissension and debate with them, Paul and Barnabas and some of the others were appointed to go up to Jerusalem to the apostles and the elders about this question. So being sent on their way by the church, they passed through both Phoenicia and Samaria, describing in detail the, com the conversion of the Gentiles and brought great joy to all the brothers. When they came to Jerusalem, they were welcomed by the church and the apostles and the elders, and they declared all that God had done with them. But some believers who belonged to the party of the Pharisees rose up and said, It is necessary to circumcise them and to order them to keep the law of Moses. The apostles and the elders were gathered together to consider this matter. And after there, after there had been much debate, Peter stood up and said to them, Brothers, you know that in the early days God made a choice among you, that by my mouth the Gentiles should hear the word of the gospel and believe. And God, who knows the heart, bore witness to them by giving them the Holy Spirit just as he did to us. And he made no distinction between us and them, having cleansed their hearts by faith. 
Now, therefore, why are you putting God to the test by placing a yoke on the neck of the disciples that neither our fathers nor we have been able to bear? But we believe that we will be saved through the grace of the Lord Jesus, just as they will. And all the assembly fell silent, and they listened to Barnabas and Paul as they related what signs and wonders God had done among them, among the Gentiles, through them among the Gentiles. Excuse me. After they finished speaking, James replied, Brothers, listen to me. Simeon has related how God first visited the Gentiles, to take them from them a people for his name. And with this, the words of the prophets agree, just as it is written. After this, I will return, and I will rebuild the tent of David that has fallen. I will rebuild its ruins, and I will restore it, that the remnant of mankind may seek the Lord, and all the Gentiles who are called by my name, says the Lord, who makes these things known from of old. Therefore, my judgment is that we should not trouble those of the Gentiles who turn to God, but should write to them to abstain from the things polluted by idols and from sexual immorality and from what has been strangled and from blood. For ancient generations, for from ancient generations, Moses has had in every city those who proclaim him, for he has read every Sabbath in the synagogues. Then it seemed good to the apostles and the elders with the whole church to choose men from among them and send them to Antioch with Paul and Barnabas. They sent Judas called Barsabbas and Silas leading men from the brothers, which with the following letter. The brothers, both the apostles and the elders, to the brothers who are of the Gentiles in Antioch and Syria and Cilicia, greetings. Since we have heard that some persons have gone out from us and troubled you with words unsettling your minds, although we gave them no instructions, it has seemed good to us, having come to one accord, to choose men and send them to you with our beloved Barnabas and Paul, men who have risked their lives for the sake of our Lord Jesus Christ. We have therefore sent Judas and Silas, who themselves will tell you the same things by the word of mouth. For it has seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us to lay on you no greater burden than these requirements, that you abstain from what has been sacrificed to idols and from blood and from what has been strangled and from sexual immorality. If you keep yourselves from these, you will do well. Farewell. So when they were sent off, they went down to Antioch, and having gathered the congregation together, they delivered the letter. And when they had read it, they rejoiced because of its encouragement. And Judas and Silas, who were themselves prophets, encouraged and strengthened the brothers with many words. And after they had spent some time, they were sent off in peace by the brothers to those who had sent them. But Paul and Barnabas remained in Antioch, teaching and preaching the word of the Lord with many other with many others also. So when Jim asked me to preach, that was, uh, oh, he gave me quite a bit to do here, so <laughs> stick with me. I've broken this into three sections, and the first one um, is, uh, is verses 15, 1 through 5, with chapter, excuse me, verse 24, and I had titled it Unauthorized Information. I meant to say uh, unauthorized misinformation spreads. But in Acts chapter 15, verse 1, some people came from Judea, and we know from verse 24 that they were unauthorized. They came from the church in Jerusalem and began teaching something contrary to what Paul and Barnabas and others have been teaching about how it is that somebody is saved. They said you had to be circumcised according to the custom of Moses. If you didn't do that, you couldn't be saved. So if you're a convert and you heard the teaching of Paul and Barnabas or others, and now and and you'd receive the Holy Spirit and you're you know praising God, worshiping Him, doing what we can only do on this planet, you know, worship God, and these people come and say, well, you haven't met these other requirements. I mean, that would be quite unsettling, quite bothersome, and very serious. And Paul and Barnabas, of course, and other leaders there in Antioch weren't, you know, were happy, of course, about that. 
But this wasn't the only place that this had happened. These men uh, were come to be known as Judaizers. They were from the Pharisee sect, and they were very zealous for the law, but they had become believers. And so this conflict is actually from within the church, um, not outside another nation or, you know, other people who didn't really know Christ or were not associated with the believers. So they were passionate about challenging how it is that somebody would come to know Christ and how they would be saved and receive salvation. So this caused a bit of confusion, quite a bit of confusion, concern, and and conflict. And I imagine a lot of anger, too. I mean, these Jews were known for being very passionate, and you've seen in the examples as uh, Pastor Jim's been teaching about how they would you know, stone Paul, and they obviously killed Christ, and you know they they really got into the really were zealous for the Word of God, what they believed to be the Word of God in the Old Testament, and what the requirements were that they needed to follow. <clears throat> so for Jews who um, came to know who Christ was, and believed in Him, and received faith in Him, and uh, heard Peter and others preach, they had already accomplished the the law. They had already been circumcised because they just grew up that way, kind of like I grew up in a church. And my father introduced me to the, you know, the customs of the church and what we should and shouldn't do and how to live. The Jews had that similar experience where they were, you know, on the eighth day they were circumcised and they learned how to prepare their food and what they could eat and what they couldn't and what animals were they could eat. And there's, you know, the whole testament has lots of laws and requirements for them to follow. And so they had that. They already had that accomplished, and then they accepted Christ. And this period of time is is between after it was after when Jesus had come and died on the cross for their sin, and then died and was in the grave for three days, and then God rose his body from the grave. He resurrected, and hundreds of people saw him before he ascended back to the heaven where he sits now at the right hand of God. It was that it was that had happened, but the New Testament did not exist yet. There were people that would go out and preach and teach, like Peter and Paul and Barnabas and Apollos and others. But there was nothing. There was no. We don't have. They didn't have the benefit of the canon of Scripture, or the Bible that we have today, with the sixty-six books that we enjoy, and I believe it's twenty-seven verses or chapters or books rather, in the New Testament. So they didn't have all that clarification. So I, I believe they were trying to do as best they could, uh, understanding what they knew and applying their knowledge and their what they're learning about God and Christ to the day, but they were very passionate, and they didn't agree, of course, with what the leaders, Paul and uh, Barnabas and others, were doing. So they were causing dissension. Now, the Gentiles, you know, Pastor Jim's been talking about in Acts, um, that teachers would go out, and the Gentiles would hear the gospel, and they would have faith in Christ, and they would be saved, and they would hear, they would receive the Holy Spirit, and then they would worship God, and, and they would continue to grow. And then, so the church then became a, this mixing of groups of people, the Jews and the Gentiles. And the Gentiles is just a generic term for people that weren't Jews. And so just like us, you know, I'm a Gentile. I wasn't Jewish. And so before I'd known Christ, I was a God-hater. And scriptures teach us that until we know Christ, we hate God. We don't follow him. We pursue our own motivations, our own desires. And that's the way, you know, people are born. And that's the way they are. We need a Savior. And so their world, their whole world view is different. You know, Paul had to write the Corinthians and, and tell them to stop all that sexual perversion stuff. And, you know, their whole worldview and the way they would live was completely different from the Jews. Their perspective, their moral values, everything was just, or most, much was a lot different. So when they would get together, there could be conflict within the church. Even on, you know, they had a potluck and they could bring a food that was something the Jews were forbidden to eat. And so they would have this struggle or it was uh, processed in a way they couldn't or there would be sexual sin going on. So there there were lots of conflicts in the church. And I think the um, end of this passage starts talking about how to live um, as brothers, as Christians, 
uh, with one another. And so there's a request to abstain from some of those things. But that, that really doesn't have to do anything with salvation. <clears throat> so anyway, there's a lot of conflict uh, going on. And, you know, in those days, even the Jews, if you, you know, the, in Genesis, God established the, the covenant with Abraham, who was the father of the Jews, and all of his children had to be, Abraham himself and then all of his offspring were to be, were to be circumcised. And then the neighboring nations and tribes or villages, if they saw Jews and they were drawn to the Jewish culture and their God, they had to become, they were proselytes basically. They had to become circumcised and start following the law of Moses in order to be associated with them. So it's natural for the Jewish people to think that People had to, you know, get circumcised. And so that's kind of the perhaps context uh, of what was going on here. So this is similar to our church today. Not that we have debates about circumcision or not, <laughs> but we have people who come to the church. And the church is just simply a called-out body, a called-out group of people who are here to worship Jesus and to help each other grow. And so we have people from all different walks of life. We have people like myself. I, I became a Christian when I was five. And so I've grown up in the church. And, you know, there's certain ways of doing things that I just get used to, but it may or may not be scriptural. And so I need to always be looking at, well, what's the Bible say about this? Is it, can we have communion this way or that way? Or, you know, this is a dark auditorium. Where I grew up, we always had white walls. Is that Okay. Well, yeah, the Bible is liberal about these things. So there's some things that we need to hold to and other things that we need to open-handed about because people that come, they're going to have different perspectives on what to do and what not to do. And there are going to be different levels of our Christian faith and our Christian walk. If someone has just become a Christian, they may not know that their swearing is offensive to me. Uh, you know, so I need to have exercise some grace and say, hey, you know, I may or may not need to say anything to him because it's the Holy Spirit's job to really work in that person and cause them to want to change. And I'll be speaking more about what the Holy Spirit does in this later on, so I want to extrapolate on that more now. But the point is we're, we have room for conflict in this church, and I believe this church has had conflict, and I'm sure we're going to have more because we're all human and we're broken. And God is working at us on different aspects of our life, and we all have different propensities to different sins. And we'll want to hide those sins. And sometimes they need to be uncovered. They need to be confessed. They need to be addressed. And that's part of the role of the elders and the leaders of this church is to confront people and talk to them and try to encourage them and to grow. And then we as a church, you know, Paul and Barnabas stated this in Antioch, Antioch at the end of here, uh, leading and teaching. And so there's, yes, there's a very much importance of becoming to know Christ and understanding what faith is and believing in Jesus and being saved, having sins forgiven. But there's something called discipleship, and that's the ongoing effort it takes to cause the body to continue to grow, to encourage you and the Holy Spirit to grow together. And so sometimes that means confronting sin. And that's the responsibility that we as Christians have you know, the church is a, is a set of disciples, imperfect people, trying to make disciples, trying to grow disciples. And that's what I hope that this church will begin to consider is what is our role uh, as we come together with different perspectives and different uh, ways of viewing things, trying to understand the scriptures, how to help each other grow in Christ together. So anyway, the challenge here is really what, as core, is what's really required for someone to become a Christian. Do they have to do anything? Is the work of Jesus really finished? 
or does somebody have to do something else in order to make it applicable to them? That the blood of Christ doesn't cover my sin unless I've done something? That's really the question. Well, Paul and Barnabas, they contested this hotly. Um, here's a couple of examples of what um, their perspective that they would have. Galatians, I believe, is written after this or about the same time. I'm not quite sure. But in Galatians 2, 15 and 16, Paul wrote that we ourselves are Jews by birth and not Gentile sinners. Yet we know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. So we also have believed in Christ Jesus in order to be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law, because by works of the law, no one will be justified. And then in Romans 10, 9, 13, 9 through 13, he's, Paul wrote this, If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, <clears throat> excuse me, yeah, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is with your heart that one believes and is justified, and with your mouth, the mouth one confesses and is saved. For the scripture says, everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame, for there is no distinction between Jew and Greek. For the same Lord is Lord of all, bestowing his riches on all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. So he's not really speaking about the mechanics of the sinner's prayer, asking for forgiveness and all that. But he's saying, look, when you're saved, there's a couple things that will mark you. One is you will be confessing that Jesus Christ is Lord. And you will believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead. <clears throat> that's inevitable. That's what's going to, you know, that's what, that's where this leads. So you can imagine the difficulty Paul and Barnabas had. The people were coming supposedly from the church, believers, teaching something than this. And so they um, they were very concerned. The whole church was, and they decided to then take it beyond just their church back up to Jerusalem to talk to people there about it and get the, get the approval and the buy-off of, a, of the church in Jerusalem. <clears throat> so, you know, these churches, as Barnabas and Paul went out and start them and set up elders over the church, they were pretty autonomous because it's not like today we can zip an email off or go see someone through Zoom or you know, have meetings. It would take a long time to travel. So they were fairly autonomous, but this was happening in many churches in the region. And so they decided this needed to be something that's handled beyond just this church because this, these people have been going elsewhere. So they wanted to go back to the um, Jerusalem church where the elders and um, apostles were and get their buy-in and get their decision made and then communicate that back out so they could discredit the people that were spreading false information and get the truth out to the to the believers. And so um, the Jerusalem church, you know, this is the church that we read about back in Acts chapter 2. Peter was there, and in Acts chapter 2, you know, he started speaking in the temple there, and thousands of people, Jewish people, came to know Christ. And then he went out to the Samaritans and a couple chapters later and spoke to them. And the, in chapter 4, actually, uh, over 5,000 men, it doesn't say how many women and children, but 5,000 men came to know Christ. And I, I believe this was also Jews. And then uh, later in Acts chapter 10 11, Peter went out to the Gentiles, to Cornelius' house, and he spoke to them, all that were there, and they believed in Christ. And they received the Holy Spirit, and they had not been baptized. Excuse me, they had not been circumcised. It's interesting to note that that had happened, and then he had come back to the church in Jerusalem, and he told them about these Gentiles that had been received the Spirit, had not been circumcised. And the church at that point, which is at least 10 years earlier than this Jerusalem council, had heard about this, and they said, 
then the Gentiles also God has granted repentance that leads to life. And so they'd already had approved what Peter had done at that point in time. And this was 10, if not 20 years earlier than what we're talking about here in this Jerusalem council. <clears throat> so the church was growing. There was this conflict going on. And um, they wanted to take it to the, the, the leaders in Jerusalem. So conflict does occur in the body of Christ. We see it here. Um, if you've been in a church for any period of time, you'll, you'll probably see it experienced there. So just know that it happens because Satan is alive and active. And how the church responds to conflict is, is very important for us to think about and focus on. And I think this passage gives us examples of what, what needs to be done. And, you know, your elders and leaders here, part of their function is to help with those conflicts and to steer the, steer the people, try to make sure the truth is known and to um, impart wisdom and applying scriptures to the issues that are faced. So I encourage you to be praying for your pastors because they have to make difficult decisions and they have to really discern the truth from what is misinformation and what is false. My next section is uh, verses 6 to 18, and I labeled it fact checks. So they go up to Jerusalem, Paul and Barnabas, uh, to deal with this issue. And it's kind of, it's interesting to read in verse four, it says that they were welcome and began to share everything that God had done through them. Now, if you read, um, Galatians two, it says that Paul took Titus with him. Titus was the first Greek who was a Gentile who accepted Christ in faith and was not circumcised. And so as he's talking to him, telling him all these things that God had done through them, he's got this, you know, a live representative right there at the church. So it's kind of a secret weapon or a prop, I guess, but I think it was highly effective. Anyway, in verse five, the, the, um, the Judaizers come in and say, the Gentiles must be circumcised and required to obey the law. <clears throat> so there's the conflict right there. And then in Galatians two, it gives the impression that uh, some commentators I read believe that, you know, there's this big council that was occurring and lots of people were there. And after the Jews came in and made this proclamation or the Judaizers, that then they broke off and there were different um, people went different places and the elders and the leaders took, went and listened to Peter and Paul and and James. But there were other discussions discussions going on and um, the topics may have included you know how to help people live together, what strife there is in different churches. And I've uh, you know today I've not today but years ago when I was an elder I had gone to pa- um, meetings like this where multiple churches were together and they would talk about the conflicts and the challenges of the church and how better to deal with those things. And so in my mind, I'm thinking that there's something similar that was going on here. But our passage kind of goes, moves to this passage of, uh, of talking to the, with the elders and the leaders. And they, they are listening to and hearing from now people that God has chosen and have proven they've risked their lives, first of all, and then they've gone out there and God has used them to bring Gentiles and, um, and Jews into the kingdom of God. And so they've experienced that. They can see it and they can speak to it. So Peter is the first one that, that they start talking or hearing from. Well, actually it said after a while. So there are others that spoke. But then Peter got up and he was one of the 12 disciples, you may recall. And he spent many years with Jesus Christ learning. And he's the one whom God had said, you are Peter. Or Jesus had said, you are Peter. And on this rock, I will build my church. And the gates of Hades will not prevail against it. So he was given the command to go feed his sheep, and he has been faithful to do that in, in, in Acts chapter 2 and 4 and um, 10 and other places. So he had seen this and witnessed it, and he could bear witness to what had happened. 
And he drew out the fact that the Holy Spirit had been given to the Gentiles without their being circumcised. And that's, of course, it's kind of like the nail in the coffin. <laughs> God is not going to send his Holy Spirit to indwell people who don't believe in him. And so I want to talk a little bit now about God and the Trinity because I've talked about God, Christ, and the Holy Spirit. <clears throat> and so we believe there's one God, and this, uh, this God is made up of three separate and distinct persons. There's God the Father, there's God Jesus Christ, God the Son Jesus Christ, and God the Holy Spirit, also referred to as the Holy Ghost by some. They all work together in one mind, with one mind in all things. And God the Son and God the Holy Spirit are every much as, as, as sorry, as every bit as much as God as God the Father is. It's kind of hard to get all that wrapped around our minds, isn't it? In terms of emphasis, we usually say that God the Father was principally active in determining and deciding what and how all of creation would come into existence, as well as planning the great drama of salvation. He is the one who's, um, who has given people to Christ and has set up a throne in heaven and is kind of overseeing all that is, has happened and will happen. The Lord Jesus Christ, we know from John, is the, was a creative agent through all things were created, for everything was created from him and through him and to him. Colossians 1.15 through 22 also talks about that he is really the primary agent for, through which salvation is gained by those who are his. He died on the cross. He spent three days in the grave, and he was resurrected bodily, and he rose again. And he's reigning over the church today from heaven, and one day we will see him. And then there's the person of the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit is principally active in calling men and women to Christ, to understand him. Where Christ is exalted, the Holy Spirit is at work there. Where Christ is not exalted, the Holy Spirit is not there. His, his, one of his primary roles is to cause us to become like Jesus. So when you believe in Christ, you receive the Holy Spirit. He is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance. And he then begins to change us. The scriptures in Ezekiel say that God will take out our heart and give us a new heart. And that's what the Holy Spirit does. He starts causing us to change, gives us new desires, helps us to kill the old desires that we have. Ephesians 1, 13 and 14 says, And you also were included in Christ when you heard the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation. When you believed, you were marked with him in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession to the praise of his glory. So the Gentiles had received the Holy Spirit simply by hearing the gospel and believing, believing that Jesus Christ died for their sin. Believing that God was raised from the, that Christ was raised from the dead. And then verse 11, Peter, he said, we believe that it is through grace, the grace of our Lord, that we are saved just as we are. By saying just as they are, he's saying that the Jews would be saved just as the Gentiles are, not that the Gentiles be saved like the Jews are. In other words, he's saying in, as it comes to being saved and salvation, the Jews, they had no advantage in salvation over the Gentiles, and the Gentiles had no disadvantage because they weren't circumcised over, um, at all. God made no distinction between Jews and Gentiles as far as salvation is concerned. So the truth of the matter is 
Faith in Christ is sufficient for salvation. Now, there are, of course, many people who dispute that. Many people you can watch online or you can go to different churches that teach different things. That's part of the conflict that can come into a church. I've been at churches where people would come in from other churches and they would start spreading the things they had learned there which weren't accurate and have to deal with that. So um, it is something that can still happen today. And one thing that we should always be looking at is Scripture. Anything I say, anything you hear a pastor say, we should always be understanding Scripture and looking to see, does the Scripture support that? Or is this added to, or is there something missing here that needs to be included in this discussion? Because faith in Christ is really all that's needed for salvation. Now, there are things that happen after someone has received Christ. He's going to start to grow. He's going to start to cause you to grow. And the things that you used to desire, you may find you don't desire them as much. I hope that's the case if they're sinful desires. And you're going to start wanting to know more things that you didn't know before, like studying the Bible. I mean, he's going to cause you to want to start learning more about Christ, more about God, um, more of the scriptures, understanding it. You're going to have more of a passion for that and a zeal. Things that you wouldn't normally think that you would do. But it's different for every person, and that's the speed in which that happens is different for every person. So we can't expect a new believer coming in to act like an old saint or someone who's been a Christian a long time. There may be things they just haven't experienced yet or they didn't understand what they're doing is actually sinful. And, you know, I experienced uh, salvation when I was five. And a lot of people think, yeah, I've been a Christian all that time, and that's a done deal. I was like, well, no, that's, that's where my journey started. And every day, I, I look at the scriptures, the more I know, I realize I need, I, I'm discouraged at times. Like, I did not love my neighbor as myself. I didn't pursue helping them, or I was more interested in this than that. Or I didn't love the Lord my God with all my heart and soul and strength and mind. And Jesus taught these two things are the most important to sum up everything else. And I fail in those things. And so I realize I need to live at the foot of the cross realizing Jesus Christ died for all of my sins, the ones I've committed in the past, the ones I've committed today, the ones I'm going to commit tomorrow. It's all covered by my faith in Him. But I need to be humble and live before Him uh, with an open heart. <clears throat> so as people come to our church, and I hope we're going to continue to grow, uh, we need to be open to different personalities and perspectives, and um, we need to be on guard for heresies and other things that come into the church. Um, but we also need to be loving and kind, and we need to help other people grow. Part of the reason for church being together is to help the Holy Spirit, to come alongside the Holy Spirit and help people to grow. And so if you've been a Christian for a while, you know you have an opportunity to, to disciple other people. And I would encourage you to look for, you know, as a disciple of Christ, who can I help grow? What does God want me to do? How can I speak to someone about Christ? Or if they're already a believer, in what ways can I come alongside them? Can I help them in an area? Uh, or do I just need to make myself available to the leadership here? Or, you know, ask God, God, what do you want me to do? And then be open to that. I believe that that's what Paul and Barnabas were doing when they stayed in Antioch was to help oversee not only the new converts but uh, and trying to make more converts, but also to build up the body of Christ and help them to grow. Because <clears throat> discipleship is super important. 
Well, not much is recorded about what Paul and Barnabas actually said in this passage. Uh, but in Acts, I mean, excuse me, Luke, the author of Acts, has been telling us all, you know, all kinds of things they have. So it's thought that he just didn't need to say much here because of all the other chapters we've been reading. But the final speaker was James, who was the brother of Jesus. And he was not a believer in Christ when Christ was living, but he, he converted um, after Jesus rose again from the dead. And he wrote the book of James, which is in the New Testament. And he um, was quite zealous for righteous living. And he was came, he became known as James the Just later because of this zeal for righteous living, and uh, it is believed by some commentators that he they thought that he was going to support them and their viewpoint that people needed to be circumcised, but he instead agreed with what was been spoken of by Paul and Barnabas and Peter, and he cited the uh, and applied Amos nine eleven through twelve to this controversy and uh, showing here the fundamental principle of applying God's word to controversies and issues within the church. So I think that's a good example of a church and how it needs to debate things and then how to apply scriptures and then come to a consensus or at least an agreement and communicate that. My last my last uh, section is 19 through 35, which is the um, outcome is communicated. So after James and, uh, agreed with Peter and Paul, uh, the leadership determined to send a letter and send two people, Judas and Silas, along with Paul and Barnabas, back to Antioch. This would be, uh, many people think this would be a way to kind of verify the letter because, you know, when he got back in, the people there could say, well, you wrote this letter. And so they're sending two other men that respected from the church in Jerusalem as 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 um extra credit, I guess, extra credentials or people that they had authorization to say and tell them verbally what the letter said and so that it wasn't just Paul and Barnabas that this whole church had agreed it about this. And uh, some things to notice about this letter. In verse 28, Luke stressed that this was not just the thinking of men, but he said this, this included the Holy Spirit being in agreement with them. They further uh, disassociated themselves with the tw- in verse 24. The people who came, they were unauthorized and let them know they were without authorization. But they, in fact, gave full authorization and support to Paul and Barnabas and then Judas and Silas as they were coming to deliver the decision. And then they put in writing that the, the, the unanimous decision to not burden them with anything <clears throat> with respect to salvation. But they do close with some other instructions. Now, these were not for salvation, but it was really how in the body of Christ... Do you deal with some of the conflict? What things can you do to help resolve this? And so uh, food is mentioned there. You know, the Jews had certain, as I mentioned, certain requirements for how food was processed or not and whether food was offered to idols and there was issues around sexual immorality and those kinds of things. And so they're basically teaching the people here that, you know, give up up some of your freedoms so you don't offend your brothers. And I think that Romans 14, 20, and 21 teach that same principle. It says, Do not, for the sake of food, destroy the work of God. Everything is indeed clean, but it is wrong for anyone to make another stumble by what he eats. It is good not to eat meat or drink, or drink wine, or do anything that causes your brother to stumble. So we have freedoms. But sometimes those freedoms can cause challenges for other people. So... We need to be all about the gospel of Christ and the advancement of Christ. So I encourage us to be willing to give up our individual freedoms if it's going to cause someone else harm. So out of this conflict came these great statements and proclamation 
Uh, it wasn't a proclamation letter, but I mean, it stood to the test of time to today. Is still the only thing that is needed to to receive salvation is faith in Christ. I've heard it said that Jesus plus anything ruins everything. So the heart of the matter is faith is sufficient for salvation. Have you put your faith in Jesus Christ? If you're online and you haven't done that yet or you're here, you know, reach out to us. Uh, I'm going to be here after this sermon. I know uh, Evan's going to be here. There are other elders in the body here. We'd love to have that conversation with you to answer the questions you might have to help you understand what that means and to see you come into the kingdom of God, have your sins forgiven, and then start walking with the Holy Spirit. That'd be such a great privilege for us. So consider that. Having been an elder before, I know that a lot of serious issues can come up in a church body. So uh, no doubt this church has seen conflict or will. I believe this church is going to grow, and I believe God's going to bring us new people with different perspectives and different backgrounds and different understanding of Scripture. They, you know, Some are going to have be real knowledgeable, and others are not going to be, and so they're going to be just dialoguing discussions with us. And So we're going to need to practice grace. We're going to need to practice discernment. And we, we're going to have people that need to grow. And we're going to need to have opportunities. We need to, we need to ask God to tell us how can we be helpful in causing these people, these disciples to grow in Christ. So I am encouraged by this church. And one of the reasons why is, uh, Pastor Jim just loves the Word of God. And he's so clear and articulate about this is what the Bible says. And that's fantastic. And you could just see he just loves to speak about the Word of God. And I love listening to him. He's so clear and easy to understand. And he also encourages this body, us as believers, to be faithful, to share the gospel, to confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord to those around us. You know, he was talking just a couple weeks ago. I think it was two weeks ago. He talked about the letter carrier who failed to deliver the mail and how irate people were. And then at the end, kind of a zinger, he said, you know, God's been writing you letters. You know, these letters of the, the New Testament is this collection of letters telling people what to do and how to live. He says, we've been receiving those letters for a long time, so are you faithful to take that message to those who are intended to hear it? And, yeah, thanks, Jim. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, that's our purpose, and that's our part of our calling is to share the gospel. So when we do that, let's make sure that we're not adding anything to what it takes to become a Christian or subtracting anything from that. Be faithful to what the message is. And then when new believers come, how open are you and I going to be to people who are different from us, who have different beliefs, different backgrounds, look different, dress different, different nationality, different races? The body of Christ, Jesus draws people from all walks of life. That's what's beautiful about the church. And then how are we going to react when there's conflict? How faithful will you and I be to pray for the leaders and elders of this church who have to make hard decisions, discern misinformation from true information, and get to the bottom bottom of things and make those decisions? And lastly, how open are you and I going to be to be, make, to be a disciple trying to make other disciples? Heavenly Father, thank you for the opportunity to speak your word today. I pray only the truth would be remembered by this body. Um, 
and that you would encourage us to be willing to humbly serve you. Draw us to forgiveness, Lord, and repentance of our own sin. Keep us growing in the faith. Uh, We thank you for this church, Lord, that is here, that has moved here, has been replanted here. We pray for the community that you would draw people here, Lord, particularly people who don't know you, uh, so that we have the opportunity to share the gospel with them. Help us to encourage one another and to grow in our own faith. Help us to lead our families well, lead lead in our communities, be instruments for your use and for your glory. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.